I'm um, Michael Smith, and I work for an organization called Bread for the World. And I want you to know, I did not propose this topic to the curriculum committee. <clears throat> I was drafted. And my disclaimer is around my qualifications to lead this kind of a session. I think they figured that I'm old enough and I've been around long enough and involved in missions enough that by now I ought to know something about this. So um, I, I don't claim that that's the case. But I am confident that together we can have a conversation that will be helpful to all of us. Uh, just a brief word about my background. I um, went to seminary, expected to be a U.S. pastor, was for a little less than two years, and was recruited into missions with um, CMF International, an Indianapolis-based agency, and spent um, three and a half years with them in Ethiopia, arrived just in time to be uh, kicked out by the revolution that overthrew Haile Selassie, and then spent seven years in central Java, Indonesia, and then the last ten years as the executive director of the organization. And then after that, spent seven years with MAP International Medical Assistance Programs, which has some really exciting programs in long-term community-based health development. All of that has been in the context of following Jesus. And so that's, that's the topic that we're trying to, to deal, with, deal with today. Um, I will say, too, there are times in my life when I've struggled with the terminology of spiritual formation. In a sense, because the use of the word spiritual, while I understand it, suggests a kind of fragmented way of understanding life and us human critters as though you could slice up our minds and our spirits and our bodies when, when it's my sense that God has woven us together with an amazing integration that is far beyond my understanding. <clears throat> I also want to say, I, one of the benefits of having been around for a long time is that I've concluded there really are no specific one-size-fits-all formula for spiritual formation. I've been through a wide array of programs, emphases, initiatives, all of which I think, by God's grace, have woven together to be a part of who I am today, but I don't see any one thing that I say, this is the thing you need to do to be properly spiritually formed. You will hear the theme, Be Still, again. And I want to invite you to do that right now. It's been a busy day already, and I'd like to invite you to just simply be still and know.
and we'll come back to this in a few minutes. But let's just do that in a spirit and in an attitude of prayer. And then I'll lead us in a, in a, in a prayer to move forward. Help us, loving God, to hear your voice. Clear the clutter, the competing voices, the conflicted agendas, so that we may walk in your way. In Christ's name, amen. Are you comfortable with silence? Most of us struggle to to be comfortable with silence. When we think about formation, the question comes to mind for me, formation for what? If someone were spiritually formed, for healthcare missions, what would they look like? How would you know one if you saw one? And I'm going to ask our scribe, I forgot, what's your name? Lily. Would you mind coming over? And here's where we need to work together on this. I'd like for you to share, thanks Lily, share your thoughts. Think of, think of someone that you know that you consider to be spiritually well-suited for healthcare missions. And just, just take a minute and think about, what, what do I see? What do I observe when I'm with this person? What do I experience when I am with this person that I could describe as indicators of a person who is spiritually well-suited for healthcare missions. So what are what are some of your thoughts? Peaceful, adaptable, compassion. Okay, how are you doing, Lily? Peaceful, compassionate, adaptable, scripturally grounded. Patient. I heard also the word content and humble. Servant's heart. Prayerful. How are you doing, Lily? You're amazing. Okay. Faithful. What does faithful look like? How do you know faithfulness when you see it? Dependability. Yeah, they show up and they keep showing up. Obedience. Integrity. integrity. What does integrity look like? Adherence, 
consistent adherence to to a, a stated to stated beliefs. Okay. Yes. They demonstrate the ability to forgive. They are forgiving. Able to trust and surrender to God the hard outcomes of things. Able to trust and to surrender to God the hard outcomes of things. Do you mean, are you telling me, telling us that you're not always wonderfully successful? What, what else? What else are the indicators of someone who is spiritually suited? Yes. Ooh. They have a good, thought-out theology of suffering. Were most of you in the session last night when Debbie Dortzbach talked from Philippians 129? God has granted you not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for Him. Yes. Passion about the gospel. Correctable. Everybody else, but not me. Committed to the Word. What does that look like? Okay. Easy to be zealous about doing good with, without the connection to God. Saw a hand in the back. Did I? Yes. Has accountability. Excellent. Okay, well, that's all right. That's all right. We're not grading on spelling, so you're good. Okay, okay. All right, now, um, Lily, after you've done that, I want you to, to change the pen colors. Um, and all of this is really helpful, and we're going to, many of these pieces are going to continue to weave through as, as we talk. Um, from Jesus' perspective, and let me, those of you who just came in who are seated in the back, we do not have a PA system, so don't feel bad about uh, either leaving us and going home or um, moving a chair to sit up here closer if you'd like. So, um, Jesus identified our spiritual role models. And I want us to think as we continue on this question. What makes the children good role models for spiritual formation? You remember Jesus uh, was talking and some little children came up and some of the disciples wanted to send him away. Hey, he's busy. He's busy. Don't bother him. And Jesus said, no, let him come to me. Because when you're seeing these, you're seeing what the citizens of the kingdom are like. I have some wonderful friends um, in Bolivia. They're actually Colombian-born physician and his wife, who has a master's in community health. Um, But they have done a lot of work about 
in, they say it with wonderful Spanish accent, the, uh, I, I think they say the adultification of our spiritual formation concepts. That is, we build it around adults and we say our job with the children is to help them grow up to be spiritual adults. He said, we have got it wrong. We didn't listen to Jesus. Our job is to follow the model to learn from the children because they are the ones whose lives are most like what life will be like when God's way or God's kingdom has come fully. But let's think about this for a minute. The same question. What do we see in children that would make them appropriate role models for our spiritual formation? Joyful. Joyful. Tender heart. Tender heart. Excitable. Innocent honesty. Okay, they are sponges. They are so open and eager to learn. And someone said humility. They do not depend upon themselves. And they don't get migraine headaches from worrying. Thank you. Uninhibited. Trust, they will jump into your arms. And I'm repeating just to try to bounce it back a little bit. Non judgmental. Wow. Simple faith. Trusting. Don't you love being around little kids? My wife and I go to a a family service at our church. And um, we go there not because we have little kids, but we love the energy. And we feel genuinely, deeply blessed by being present with these children while they worship, or while they're distracted. One of the things we do, we're at a church that um, has communion every Sunday. On the first and third Sunday, they invite the little children and whoever is accompanying them to come up and stand around the communion table. So you get 30 or 40 wigglers up there around the communion table while we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and some of them are really into it, and you just see this beautiful spirit of wonder and awe. Others are totally distracted and distracting and bugging other children, and their parents have to go up and get I mean, so you get the picture, but all of that may be a part of the wonder of what Jesus had in mind when he said, let them come to me, because this is what the kingdom of God is like. Thank you. Any last, any last thought or word you want to add for a description on these? Wonderment. Thank you.
in spiritual formation. Thanks, Lily. The, the journey really is the destination. We will never arrive at being fully spiritually formed. And that's okay. We are, we are followers of Jesus becoming followers of Jesus. And that is our calling. I love uh, a bunch of years ago when I was in and out of um, the UK fairly often. I kept seeing this um, vehicles driving by that had a large red letter L on a white background. And eventually somebody pointed out that that is the equivalent in the UK of saying, look out, this is a student driver. It's a learner. And then while I was on one of the trips in the UK, I found in a store a little tiny Pooh Bear, Winnie the Pooh, that had an L on a placard hanging around his neck. And I said, that is the spirit of the disciple, because we are learners. During the years that I lived in central Java, Indonesia, I got to, to live um, in a village, a Javanese village, about 4,100 feet up on the slopes of Mount Merapi, which is one of the 10,000-foot active volcanoes in central Java. <clears throat> All of my neighbors were Muslim. After I, when, when I first got their ag- agreement for me to move there, I had explained to them that my purpose was to learn more about the Javanese language and culture, and I was already speaking Javanese, but I had been with them for several months, and one night, sitting on one of their raised uh, platforms, drinking tea, while the guys rolled their um, clove cigarettes and smoked them, I said, guys, I don't have a Javanese name. Will you give me a Javanese name? And so they commiserated among themselves for a while, and they finally came up with the name Siswo Buono. And in Javanese language, Siswo is the word for a learner or a student. And Buono is from around the world. And so the name that I had was Siswo Buono, a learner from around the world. And a part of the beauty of it was that in the Javanese New Testament, the word for disciple is Siswo. So the spirit of learning is the spirit which is essential if we're going to be spiritually formed. The reality of spiritual formation, too, is that like life, it is messy. And in some ways, I would almost say the messier, the better. Think about your own spiritual formation. What are the occasions from which you have learned best? Your glowing successes or your pains and your failures? I don't know about you, but for me, my spiritual formation has been most deeply rooted at those points of failure, of disappointment, 
of mistakes. I thought it might be helpful as we think about all of these indicators of of a spiritually well-formed person to think of, to to approach it now from an ang- from from the negative angle what are some of the barriers that you experience and before i jump into sharing a few that i thought of tell me what what you have experienced um lily this might be something else helpful to write if you don't mind sorry um what are some of the barriers you have experienced in in your own journey of spiritual formation or you may have observed in other people what are the barriers some of the barriers obstacles busyness yes prejudice say more prejudice in what sense Okay, because people don't meet some of their personalized ideals and criteria, then they are put in a box and treated differently. Yes? Self-criticism. Success is a barrier. Pride. Tradition. Tradition in what sense? How would that be a barrier to spiritual formation? Okay. If, if If you're tied up, if you are bound up by the shoulds in your life that flow out of tradition or something, some other thing that has formed expectations that are stifling and limiting... As a, as a priority, not, not that they're bad in themselves, but when they trump other things, when they are a higher priority, can get in the way of spiritual formation. Past pain. Isolation. Isolation. Self-reliance. Addictions. Wisdom. Is a barrier to spiritual formation? How? Self-reliance. Okay. Ascribing to myself more wisdom than might be accurate. It might be more knowledge. More knowledge. Okay. Yeah. Knowledge that gets in the way of being open to the spiritual formation, things that that I need to, to experience for formation. Earthly comforts. Anger, bitterness. Anger, bitterness. Wow. Selfishness. Selfishness. Misplaced, priorities. Misplaced priorities. Wow. Peers. Peers. Fears. 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 
peers as well as fears. Okay. Wow. Great, great, great observations there. Now, can you imagine how rich it would be if you were on a routine basis engaged with a community of people you know and love and trust and working through various pieces of this as a part of your journey? Several of them that I thought of that I'm going to go with for right now, I think we're good. Thanks, Lily. Okay. But, but be ready. Be ready. Yay, Lily. <laughs> Several that I thought of overlap with some that you thought of and some I was clueless about. So we, we may be able to weave some of that in um, as we move forward. One of them I thought of was, I, I, and maybe, maybe a lot of this that I'm going to share is confessional in nature about some of the things that I've struggled with. I, there have been times when I approached my spiritual formation the way I am, unfortunately, sometimes hardwired, and that is I am focused. I'm linear I tend to want to be productive, and I am hardwired for action. Um, You know, don't just sit there, do something kind of an approach. And so because I've been focused on outcomes, a lot of things have struggled. Through the years, one of the verses that has spoken frequently to me in my discipleship journey is... When Jesus called the disciples so that they could be with him. And again and again, God's Spirit has spoken to me to say, Michael, first of all, it is about being and being with me. And then Jesus sent them out. But not until they were with him. Somehow connected to this idea of productivity has been for me the joy of discovering a little more about what I, what I believe was Jesus' sense of connection with the kingdom of God. Or I, sometimes I use the shorthand of God's way. Because we don't live in kingdoms anymore. We can understand that conceptually, historically. But Jesus' business when he was on earth was not to build the kingdom. Do you see how the language he used related to the kingdom? When he began his ministry in Mark's gospel, he said he started out by saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe that good news. The kingdom has come near. Jesus was not building the kingdom. He was, I think there are three things that Jesus did related to the kingdom that are also our calling as followers of Jesus. Jesus was, first of all, a sign. What does a sign do? Points to something. Jesus, in his preaching, was pointing to the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. I envision it this way. That the kingdom of God 
E. Stanley Jones was a great Wesleyan missionary in India in the 1940s, wrote a fantastic devotional book called The Way, and he said, the kingdom of God is the way. It is the way because it's woven into the fabric of the universe. And he said, the kingdom is our cosmic home. The kingdom is our cosmic future, the future for the cosmos. The kingdom of God, or the way of God, is breaking into the present from the future. And all Jesus did was to say, look, this is it. It is coming here. So, we're called to be a sign pointing to the coming kingdom, to be a foretaste. In our life as Christian communities, we are to be a foretaste, an example for the world to see of what life will be like when God's way is done on earth as it is in heaven. A sign and a foretaste and an agent or an instrument of God's kingdom. When we're working to heal the sick, to comfort the lonely, to care for the homeless, we are an agent of God's all-inclusive, loving, compassionate way. So, that, for me, I found that wonderful relief. I don't have to build a kingdom. All I need to do is point to the amazing wonder that the kingdom of God is the future of the universe. And I can point to it. I can be a part of a community illustrating it. And I can help be an agent of that kingdom. Also, I think we need to rethink righteousness. Sometimes a part of my struggle around spiritual formation and this outcomes kind of thing is that I was pursuing righteousness. Pursuing my personal righteousness. And even though if you had asked me, I would say, no, I'm not trying to achieve spiritual brownie points. Functionally, it sure looked like that. And in the Beatitudes, you read these wonderful two verses. You may not be able to see it. probably can't see them from the back. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, the Greek word is, for they will be filled. And a few verses later, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word is often translated righteousness. And equally legitimate translation is justice. And justice is not focused on me, but is focused on others. And so, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, so that all of the poor, the oppressed, will have enough. Blessed are those who are persecuted for justice' sake. And so when my focus is on pursuing God's justice, then the, the, the obstacle of outcomes gets out of the way. Have you ever felt that your approach on spiritual formation felt mechanical? I, again, confessional, I've experienced that at times. One of the most important 
pieces for everything that I'll share today and from my experience is that spiritual formation is rooted in God's love. And I don't first mean in my loving God, but in the experience of being deeply, unquestionably, unconditionally loved by God. For any of us who have ever struggled with any sense of insecurity and uncertainty of being absolutely loved and accepted, this is profound. Do you remember what happened to Jesus just before he began his formal ministry? He went to John at the river to be baptized. And when he was baptized, he heard the voice of love. Do you remember specifically what the voice out of the the sky said to him? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to the three affirmations of that. You are my son. You belong. Beloved, I love you. In you I am well pleased. I am proud of you. Now, is that a foundation for ministry? Wow. And so, in that strength, buoyed by that bedrock assurance of being loved by God, he went into the desert for 40 days. And he embarked on three years of otherwise impossible ministry. And we struggle so much with our focus on the brokenness of our world that we easily miss the reality that there is nothing but love. Our world is love. One of our preachers used to close with the benediction, The world is now too beautiful and too dangerous for anything but love. So may God take our eyes and see through them, our hands and work through them, and take our hearts and set them on fire. John 1 tells us that God created everything. In the beginning was the Word, and Through him all was created, and nothing that was created was was not created through him. And God and God's word are love. And so the universe is one of love. Um, Any of you know um, Wendell Berry, Kentucky Sage? You may have seen this quote. He said, I take literally the statement in the Gospel of John that God loves the world. I believe that the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres, and endures by love, and that insofar as it is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. I believe that divine love, incarnate and indwelling in the world, summons the world always toward wholeness, which ultimately is reconciliation and atonement 
at one with God. Amen. Now, think about this for a second. Think of what, what do you see in a person who knows that she is loved? Unshakably loved. You see, trust. Remember we talked about trust as one of the characteristics of these beautiful little children? It's trust. And when you're living out of trust, you're able to approach life with curiosity and openness. You jump in without reservation. Hang the risks. You jump in trusting. So what's, what is the opposite of operating out of trust? Distrust and fear. What is the one command that, is, that shows up more times than any other command in the Scriptures? Do not be afraid. Because when we live in fear, we are concealing. We are hiding our nakedness, figuratively. We need to be right We're scrambling because we don't know that we are loved unshakably for who we are. And we are closed-minded. We have not nearly enough time for all these fun things that I want to talk about. But humility, several of us mentioned that humility is such a mark of one who knows she or he is loved. Because we don't have to be scrambling to draw attention to ourselves, to demonstrate that we are worthy, that we are acceptable because we just are. And that is so deeply rooted in who we are that we are blessed with humility. I love the way that Carl Jung and Henry Nouwen both have talked about wounded healers. And all of you who are healthcare professionals or in any arena of ministry know exactly what this means. Have some of you read Henry Nouwen's book on wounded healers or seen that? Just a beautiful sense of recognition that we do not heal out of our strength. God comes to us in our weakness. Someone recently pointed that out to me, that the beauty of the story of blind Bartimaeus is that Jesus was drawn to him not because of his strength, but God's love can't say no to weakness. And so we celebrate our weakness. The Apostle Paul talked about that as a reality. In humility, we fail well. We fail openly. We fail without fear of shame. We may not be proud of of our failures, but we fail well. And we are constantly aware of the log in our own eye every time we are tempted to point out the speck in someone else's eye. My wife and I co-taught an adult 
Sunday school class at a church in Indianapolis for a number of years. This class was especially for adults who were single or single again because of divorce or because of the death of a spouse. We developed a mantra that we recited to each other every Sunday when we started that this is one place in the church that we don't have to pretend to have it all together. What does that kind of a statement tell you? Where in the church should we need to pretend that we've got it all together? So, when we know we are loved, we don't have to pretend. And we are free to love without judging. Several of you made comments about that non-judgmental spirit. We love without, love without judging because God loves us without judging. One of my favorite verses through the years has become Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. I'm sorry I'm having to talk so loud. I feel like a revival preacher or something. I normally don't talk this way. So I apologize for that. I'm just trying to be heard. Okay, some of you talked about busyness. The curse of busyness. Um, The author Eugene Peterson, who did the translation, the message, calls for for Christians, he calls busyness functional atheism. Because we are acting as though God did not exist and it's all up to us. How do you deal with that? Three three things that are all linked together. Contemplative prayer, Christian mystical tradition, centering prayer. Are these things familiar to you? No, of course not. You're Western Christians. In the first three centuries of Christianity, there was a wonderful mix of focus on doctrinal faithfulness and mystical union with God. But then came the Council of Nicaea and some some other councils which wound up being political slugfests, very spiritual ones, mind you, but political slugfests, which which were won by the people who said doctrinal clarity and faithfulness and purity are the most important. Prior to that, people had seen that experiencing the oneness of God was as important. And through through the century since then, there has continued to be a thread of 
of Christian mysticism, as it's said. One, one teacher that I heard said in the third and fourth centuries, when these big debates and conferences were held, we as the mainstream of Western Christianity opted for a moralistic approach to our faith as opposed to a mystical approach to our faith. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but unfortunately have come to be in practice. So, centering prayer, I would encourage you, as a part of your continuing spiritual formation, to do some looking, to do some research on centering prayer, on Christian mystical tradition, on contemplative prayer. And if you have been taught well enough in your, in your, in your church, this stuff's going to scare you. <laughs> because you think, oh my, we're headed off into Buddhist meditation here. I don't know if Jesus can have anything to do with that or not. Or if that's going to totally derail my faithfulness. On several occasions in the Gospels, we hear that early in the morning, Jesus went away to a quiet place to pray. We didn't have any eyewitness cameras watching, so there's no evidence of this. But I doubt if Jesus was talking to the Father all of that time. What time are we finished here? Five? Okay, so we've got just a few minutes. Um, I want to invite you to practice a simple exercise that I've learned and is a part of my daily practice every day. Before I do my intercessory prayer, after I have read my devotional material and scripture and so on, before I do my intercessory prayer, I have, it varies from three minutes to 15 minutes or so, that I am just being still and knowing. So let me, let me invite you to, to consider this for right now. I want to encourage you to, to sit comfortably and um, close your eyes if you want or leave them open. It really doesn't matter but invite you to sit with a sense of dignity. Not arrogance, but just sit with a sense of dignity, knowing that you are loved and embraced by God. And for a few minutes, simply pay attention to your breath coming in and going out. This is not to breathe differently or in any, simple, any special way but simply to pay attention to your breath going in and going out and remember that in the beginning when God had created Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. And so every breath coming in and every breath going out is the breath of God. Breathing in 
and breathing out, you will find that thoughts are going to pop into your mind like popcorn. And when they do, with no judgment, notice them, and then just gently draw your attention back to breathing in and breathing out. So let's just do that silently for a minute. When you're ready, um, rejoin me again. Whether you lasted two seconds or 25 seconds, you've just experienced a moment of being still and being fully present to God. And the wonder of this is that every second that you are conscious simply of your breathing in and breathing out. It doesn't matter what pain or hardship or successes have been in the past. It doesn't matter what anxieties about the future or challenges or hardships are facing you. In this minute slice of life, all is well. You are fully present with God. God is fully present with you. And all is well. I would invite you to, as a part of your ongoing formation, to explore this as possibilities. Look around your communities. You'll find some people, even if it's somebody doing some kind of secular meditation, you can learn from it. They learned it from Christian mystics. They learned their methodologies. I took a a seven-day mindfulness retreat um, on a program that was developed by the University of Massachusetts Medical Center called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. It's designed for people who have pain that cannot be controlled with surgery or medicines. And is an amazing thing. But the basic principles they learned from Christian mystics. And we can bring the Spirit of Christ. There are lots of great ways. You can find in your communities people who are teaching teaching centering prayer and contemplative prayer. Great resources. Four rules of life. This one is not from the Bible, so don't quote me. Four rules of life. Somebody told me several years ago, when I was in kind of a funky intersection trying to find my way on some stuff, he said, okay, Michael, four rules of life. Number one... Show up. Wherever you are, be there. And on our spiritual journeys, wherever you would like to be, where you are today is where you are. Wherever you are, be there. Number two, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on inside you and around you. And I I often speak of that as a spiritual discipline. The spiritual discipline of paying attention. And by the way, on that little um, contemplative prayer exercise we went through, I find that 
I mean, there are lots of dimensions of it. One part of it is when I'm doing that quiet breathing meditation, one of the principles is if I feel that my right ear is itching, I don't scratch it. I just notice it. I just pay attention. And most of the time it's going to go away in a few seconds anyway. Or if my leg feels tight, I mean, if it's in pain, I'll move it. But otherwise, you just, you just notice. And I find that during the middle of the day, if I'm in, a, in an intense meeting and conversation, and I notice when my gut starts to get tight, then I also notice at the same moment that I am also breathing and that I am breathing in the presence of God, and I am able to be present to this tense situation that you got me into, and, um, and I am able to then, in a spirit of trust because of God's presence, to deal with that. So, four rules of life. Number one, show up. Number two, pay attention. Number three, tell the truth. Tell your truth about what you are experiencing, feeling, sensing. And number four is be open. So, that was a freebie. No charge for that. Um, Another barrier is that my devotional life, my spiritual formation has gotten stale, not consistent over time. Oh my, there there are so many things that that are connected here. Um, I want to say just two things here and then go to what what is essentially the last thing. Um, You are what you eat. You know, we hear that as we we struggle with our bellies and so on. Spiritually, you are what you eat. And without judgment, simply begin to notice what you are consuming Visually, auditorially, what are you focusing your time and energy on? What are you consuming? Community and intimacy. One of the greatest barriers, one of you here uh, mentioned isolation as a barrier earlier. You did that, didn't you? You did something good. Good for you. Um, That isolation. Spiritual formation and isolation are... Mutually exclusive. We cannot grow spiritually if we live in isolation from others. We need each other. The whole doctrine of the Trinity as the essence of God is community in nature. All that is created in God's image, it requires community. We have to have each other or we will fall, we will fail. In terms of spiritual formation, remember that feelings follow action. And this next suggestion of hang with poor people. How much time are you spending with people who are poor or who are sick, apart from treating them medically? Or people who are broken or alone? Spend time with them because that helps shift to the reality that it is in serving that our spirits are formed in the likeness of Jesus. And if we had time, we would talk more about compassion. And I'll say, if any of you are interested, I'd be glad to send you these slides that I have more detail than we have time to look at right now. Um, But compassion, compassion is a way of being. 
For those who follow Jesus, it is the way of being. Guilt. Somebody mentioned earlier about the struggle with our own shame and our brokenness. And that's where this Romans 8 passage is so important that there is no condemnation. Um, Let's see. All right. I want to close with this prayer um, of um, Thomas Merton, who was a Christian mystic, lived right here in Kentucky. And this I want you to take with you as the spirit of spiritual formation. And let's allow this to be our closing prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me, to face my perils alone. Amen.